0: Hello, this is Mark Peacock, and welcome to the Travel Commons Podcast. This is Travel Commons Podcast number 178, recorded Tuesday, August 24th, 2021. This is the podcast giving the voice of the traveler. It's more about the journey than the destination. Two topics on this edition of the Travel Commons podcast. What will remain from these pandemic times and best places I've ate and drank at in 2021 so far. Coming to you from the Travel Commons studios in Chicago, Illinois, after a much lighter travel schedule than before the last episode. The day after posting the last episode, the July episode, Irene and I got back in the car because those... 12-hour drives to and from the East Coast just weren't enough for me. I got back in the car, but this time heading north, as I mentioned at the end of the last episode, to Traverse City, Michigan to do Paddle for Pints with some friends. It's a taproom crawl, but in kayaks instead of on streets. It's a lot of fun. And there's something about physical exertion while drinking that seems to, I don't know, just justify the next beer. Now, anyone who's driven any distance through the Midwest knows really there are only two seasons here winter and construction season. And we didn't get too far outside of Chicago on I 90 before having to merge down to, you know, a single lane of traffic. And that just ground everything to a crawl. And then I just start refreshing ways and Google Maps looking for alternatives. Now, I've said in past episodes that Even though Google owns both, my experience is that they can recommend different routes, especially in high-traffic, fast-changing situations. Now, To me, Waze feels a little, I don't know, twitchier. It'll twist you down half a dozen random side streets to save, I don't know, 30 seconds, while Google Maps guesses that you're willing to suck it up for a couple of more minutes in exchange for a simpler route. And that's exactly what happened to us in northwest Indiana, which leaves me trying to figure out which route to take. I tweeted out later, actually while on a snack break in a tap room in Grand Rapids, I tweeted out, I really hate it when Google Maps and Waze fight, to which the Waze social media crew replied, We like to think of it more as a disagreement nicely done and then piling on jim mcdonough a longtime travel commons listener added well i don't know apple maps breaks the tie good idea, Jim, but I was having just enough fun swiping between the two maps. Adding a third would have put me in a ditch for sure. I ended up using mostly ways, but skipped the recommended routing through side streets in Gary, Indiana. The risk-reward trade-off on that one just, I don't know, just didn't feel worth it. Now, I was supposed to head out to the Bay Area last week on business, going to a plant on the east side of the Bay for a big team meeting, but that meeting got Revectored at the last minute From California back to Chicago Because that Bay Area County, the county that the Plant was in, had reinstated Indoor mask mandates And nobody questioned moving that Meeting. With everyone on the Team fully vaccinated months ago We'd all happily gotten used to Meeting with each other like it's 2019 again and really didn't Want to go back to eight hours of masks Muffled voices and Trying to read nonverbal cues from the nose up. As it was, we made it just under the wire. Our meeting was Wednesday and Thursday, and then on Friday, Chicago's indoor mask mandate went into effect in a way that I can only describe as sort of peak Chicago. Uh, The city collected revenue off of 385,000 mostly maskless Lollapalooza music festival attendees Right before dropping the mask boom on those of us who actually live in the city. So following up... I have to tell you, one of the reasons it takes me so long to do an episode is that I lack the discipline to bail out when I get caught in a click spiral. This time, it was about the United Airlines flight that was evacuated because some teenager decided to troll fellow passengers by airdropping them a picture of an airsoft gun. For the non-iPhone users out there, AirDrop lets iPhones and Macs easily share stuff, pictures, videos, web links, wirelessly with others nearby. It's been around, I don't know, for about 10 years, and actually... Pretty soon after it came out, people figured out that they could drop random, interesting pictures onto nearby strangers who had let their phones stay wide open. I've seen this happen, and it could be pretty funny watching someone suddenly start looking around in a bar or a train, wondering who'd airdrop them that picture. But what's funny, or at least annoying in a bar, is easily misinterpreted as a safety threat now that we're 10 years on from 9-11. So back to this United flight, after somebody raised their hand, said, there's a gun on board, they pulled everyone off for rescreening, searched the plane, and then left three hours later, leaving that teen behind an SFO. You know, understandable, but I initially thought, I don't know, maybe it's a slight overreaction. But then, as I got through maybe, I don't know, the fifth page of Google search results. I changed my mind because I clicked through to a a story about an airdrop message on a Delta flight. It said, a plane jacking will happen soon. Two hours and 37 minutes, it will start in the front on aisle six. Now, that flight, too, was evacuated, and no overreaction there. But you know, this time, they didn't find the sender. I, I don't know. Maybe airline safety demos need to start showing iPhone users how to set their airdrop to receiving off. Irene and I continue to push on with plans for our first post-lockdown international trip and I've said this uh, in the last episode we're going to Italy for a bike tour through Puglia. Now, you know, the whole Delta variant thing adds to the uncertainty. I talked in episode 175 a couple of episodes ago about sorting through trip insurance and figuring out which credit card to use to pay for the tour. Now we're booking hotels before and after the tour and we're We're choosing to pay 10 to 15 euros more a night for cancelable fares, so, you know, we're kind of rolling our own DIY trip insurance. Now, booking our flight into Bari, Bari, Italy, which is where the tour starts, I've also felt the need to be a bit more thoughtful. (laughs) Airline schedules seem to be a bit more, I don't know, variable than usual. Last week, Americans sent me a note to let me know that our November Heathrow to O'Hare flight has moved up from 5.15 p.m. to 10.35 a.m. Now, I understand all this. Air traffic is not following predictable patterns, and they're just trying to keep up. Now, for that direct flight home from London, you know, it's really not a problem. It's not even really that much of an annoyance. But when we're having to make a connection to a city with not frequent service, like Bari, Italy, it's a different matter. Now, the first thing I did was just X out anything that had more than one stop. It'll be hard enough keeping two flights aligned, let alone three. Then I focused on the big European hubs, Heathrow, Frankfurt, De Gaulle, skipping connections at you know, smaller places like Munich and Zurich. And finally, I was looking for connection times around three hours, what I thought would be sort of a Goldilocks connection, not too short that any hiccup on the inbound flight would cause a problem, but not so long that we'd be having to sit around in the airport all day wearing a mask or would have to figure out COVID protocols in yet another country because we'd have to leave the airport because of an overnight connection. So all that being said, we ended up booking on Air France with a two-hour, 50-minute connection in De Gaulle. But since I don't have any SkyTeam status, that causes me a bit of worry. Maybe we get caught in a long non-status security line. So I ended up doing some DIY trip insurance on the flight, burning an extra bit of my pile of American Express membership rewards points for a ride in business class. And a cancelable fare, of course. Being a business class, it's going to make up for my non-status status status on SkyTeam. Now, you could say I've gone way down a rabbit hole overthinking this one. And honestly, I wouldn't really argue with you. But then again, hey, look, it's the first international trip in two years that I've been able to plan. So, you know, it's kind of like an only child getting way too much of their parents' attention. Now, I was digging through my travel card wallet for my global entry card to find my known traveler number so I could put it on this Air France reservation and ended up coming across a handful of Southwest drink coupons that are about to hit their expiration date. Now, Southwest says expiring drink coupons are good actually now through the end of this year. But Southwest has also suspended alcohol sales a few months back, and rightly so after a passenger assaulted a flight attendant. But they're saying that the booze won't return until the federal mask mandate ends. But the TSA just extended that until January, January 2022, which is past the end of 2021, the coupon's extended expiration dates. And honestly, I really don't see the TSA letting up on in-flight mask mandates anytime soon. So... What is it, Southwest? Are you going to be the first dry airline? I've said this in prior episodes, but I mentor startup founders at a tech incubator in Chicago. It's the 1871 incubator. Actually, they have a podcast studio there, and I did a podcast from their studio in pre-pandemic times. So a few months ago, one of my mentoring sessions was with a bionic implant startup. Implant the chip And the back of your hand becomes a contactless card. Get into your office or pay at Starbucks with the tap of your hand. Another reminder, I don't know, if a bit, say, unsettling or icky of the move to a cashless society. Now, I talked about this back in episode 136, back in 2017, uh, where I said I felt like maybe I'm the last generation of cash payers, that all my younger traveling colleagues rarely paid cash. They paid everything with a card. And then the pandemic massively accelerated it. Everything went contactless. Nobody wanted to handle your cash. Last year in episode 165, I noticed that I had the same $200 of 20s in my wallet in June that I had taken out of an ATM right before the March lockdown. And then last month in New York, the coffee shop across from our hotel was card only. And actually, it's been the same forever at the ice cream shop around the corner from our place in Chicago. Restaurants that use the toast point of sale system print out a QR code at the bottom of your receipt, letting you pay and walk away the country of sweden thinks they'll be completely cashless in two years but i have to say i'm seeing a little reversion to the mean post-lockdown i stopped off at a bar during a saturday bike ride for a rehydration break i asked the bartender if she took cash yeah she said uh we've never stopped it spends like everything else and I have to tell you, it, it felt pretty good to put a 20 on the bar, order beers, and see her take cash from the pile, just like in 2019. Now it's also that inflation is making it tougher for small places to eat that two and a half to three percent card fee. The little Mexican place across the street from work, where I'll grab carne asada tacos for lunch, now tax on that fee for card users. They're pretty happy when I pull out cash to pay, but uh, I, I don't know. Last week I got my change back eighty cents, all in nickels. I guess this cashless thing has also now caused a shortage of quarters. And, hey, if you have any travel stories, questions, comments, tips, rants, the voice of the traveler, send them along. Comments, c o w m e n t s at TravelCommons.com. Send a Twitter message to MPCock. Post your thoughts on the Travel Commons Facebook page or the Instagram account at Travel Commons. Or you can always post your comments on the website at TravelCommons.com. The first topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is what will remain from these pandemic times. In past episodes, I've been pretty skeptical about forecasts of permanent changes to the travel industry or society in general from the pandemic. I have enough gray hair to remember commentators using the same, everything has changed, and this is the new normal language 13 years ago after the 2008 Great Recession, yet somehow within a couple of years, we ended up back to, I don't know, maybe within 90% of 2007. Reversion to the mean is a strong force, unless it's countered by a stronger force, like Saving money, which is why I think the odds on favorites for pandemic changes made permanent are what we've seen at hotels and restaurants. Checking into the Hilton in Midtown Manhattan last month, the front desk guy told us that they weren't doing daily housekeeping. We could either schedule housekeeping now or call them when we wanted it. Pre-pandemic, Starwood and then later Marriott when they bought them would offer you points for skipping housekeeping. Go green, they called it. They pitched it as eco-friendly, but it was really all about saving labor costs. But the Hilton didn't offer me any points. The week before, Hilton announced their new policy of on-request housekeeping across all of their brands, really the first major chain to cement what had been sort of an ad hoc pandemic response, cement that into a you know new chain-wide policy. The press release talked about guest comfort, but you know, behind the PR flax, it's all about cost savings. I expect to see Marriott and others follow soon. I do have to give props to the housekeeping staff at that Hilton though, the Hilton in Midtown. When after 3 days I did call a room for cleaning, they were there in 5 minutes. They were right there. It was again impressive. A bigger loss to me though is the breakfast buffet. My usual pre-pandemic routine was to work out and then take a quick pass through the concierge lounge for breakfast. Hotels must have found their ad hoc grab-and-go breakfast sacks cheaper because that too feels like it's going to be the new normal. And of course, there's QR codes. Talked about this in the earlier segment. But, you know, I think way back to January 2015, episode 113, I just kind of scoff at a bartender in Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport who reached over an iPad that was mounted in front of me to punch in my food order on the, uh, on the screen. I thought to myself, this is never going anywhere. And now, look, we, you know we aim our own smartphones at QR codes and order our own meals all without help. There's nobody leaning over and punching it in on our smartphones. And again, it ends up saving labor costs. I mean, the only contra to this is I wonder how much of it is truly saving labor costs versus having to deal with the labor shortages that are making the headlines almost every day. I don't know the answer to that, but uh, I I, got to think that the cost savings is probably the bigger driver. Now, on the other hand, airlines, they started reverting to the mean at the end of last year when they dropped capacity restrictions and put butts in the middle seats again, just as their traffic was beginning to recover. And if this summer was, say, the first flight you've been on since pandemic, you'd think nothing had happened. All the people, all the crowds, well, you would have think nothing to happen except maybe the fact that everybody's wearing masks and nobody's able to order Bloody Mary eye-openers on the morning Southwest flights to Vegas. Now, some people are predicting the death of cancellation fees for airlines, but I don't buy it. In 2019, United Airlines made $625 million in change and cancellation fees, and 10 of the largest U.S. carriers made $2.8 billion. That's just too big of a revenue hole to leave unfilled. And you know what? Those fees are already creeping back in. Most of the basic economy seats are back to non-changeable, non-refundable. And maybe not this year, but I'll tell you, if traffic holds up, I expect to see some airlines quietly not extend their fee waiver deadlines. And really, private company behaviors are pretty straightforward to forecast. Just follow the money. It's the government regulations that are uncertain. How long do mask mandates and COVID testing for uh, international entry how long do those rules stay around? I mean, government rules only seem to ratchet up. It's been 15 years since the TSA had us take our shoes off and dump out our water bottles at security checkpoints. And other than letting people bring on larger bottles of hand sanitizer, nobody thinks the TSA is going to change those rules anytime soon. There's just, there's just no incentive. The second topic on today's Travel Commons podcast is the best places I've ate and drank at in 2021 so far. Now, I talk a lot about food and beer in this podcast, as proven by the direct links to those categories in the top menu of the Travel Commons website. Back in episode 168 last fall, I said that for me, food and drink are really you know, one of the last holdouts to global e-commerce and social media. Ten to twenty years ago, it was fun to go shopping and bring something unique back home. But now, there's not much that you can't find easier and oftentimes cheaper on—I don't know—Amazon, Taobao, Rakuten, and. Don't even get me started on Instagram. If people aren't in a 100-person queue to get their own personal shot of the delicate arch in Moab, Utah, then they're queuing for -for made-for-Instagram selfie murals like the What Lifts You Wings in Nashville's Gulch neighborhood. But food... Look, you can post all the pictures you want of it, but you can't post that sense memory of, say, eating a dozen fresh oysters on a breakwater in Brittany or having a bowl of pho for breakfast in Hue or a 1 a.m. fresh off the grill char polish that's been drugged through the garden at some Chicago hot dog stand. And so over the years, I've talked about restaurants, bars, tap rooms that I've enjoyed, and I've posted links to them in the show notes on the website or in blog posts. But reading articles about the number of restaurants and bars that have closed since March 2020, you know, some would say 10% of all the restaurants in the U.S. Others would say here in Chicago that some 20% of the place is closed. I figured it'll take travel guidebooks and blogs a while to catch up with all that change. And so it kind of hit me when a college friend pinged our group text for Nashville recommendations. I've been going there a couple of times a year, probably over the past five years, But when I started going through my list of places to give her some recommendations, it just struck me how many of these places had closed. I had to recurate my recommendations, and I figured a good start on that would be to post a list of the best places that I've ate and drank during my 2021 travels, put that on the Travel Commons website. Now, fair warning— This is a very idiosyncratic list. It's the best places I ate and drank at in, say, New York City in May and July. The New York list is pretty Midtown, Murray Hill-centric because that's where we were staying and that's where Claire was looking for flats— Now, I walked into Ted's Corner Tavern because it's around the corner from Claire's New Place. It made the list because it's what I think a great neighborhood bar should be. Good-sized bar with friendly bartenders who aren't too busy to chat with you. It had the right volume level, lively, but not so loud that you had to shout across the table. And, of course, 30 taps and a well-curated beer list. I've tried to make my list a well-curated one also. I don't mention restaurants or tap rooms that I thought were, eh, fine, you know, sort of three or three and a half star places. Instead, it's a list of places that stuck out in my mind for one reason or another and would make me go out of my way to recommend them to, say, a college friend. Now this approach is played out kind of in a funny way on my Portland, Maine recommendations. In that section of the list, I recommend Bob's Clam Hut and Kittery for fried clams, and Island Creek Oysters Place in the East End Munjoy Hill neighborhood for local oysters. But I don't have a recommendation or a specific recommendation for a lobster roll place now. It's not for lack of trying. We had a lobster roll whenever we saw it on the menu, which I got to tell you was not a cheap exercise since they're running about 25 bucks a pop. But they were all good. We didn't have a bad lobster roll anywhere. So after all that, there wasn't a single place I could point to and say, go there for a lobster roll. I just would tell people, order one if you see it. It's probably good no matter where you are. Now, another oddity of the list, there's no Chicago places. Irene and I talked about this a bit. Between favorite places closing down and us cooking at home a lot more during lockdowns and the strict mask mandate, which in Chicago was worded kind of like the airplane mandate, wear your mask at all times unless you're actively eating or drinking. So, you know, between all that, we we haven't been anywhere that's really stuck out. Well, I don't know, except maybe the Nancy's Pizza a couple of blocks from the Travel Commons studios. They do a great pepperoni, spinach, and fresh tomato pan pizza. Uh, you know, okay, they, they're they going to definitely make the list. And, and because the list is a work in progress, I posted the first edition on the website last week with sections on Tucson, San Diego, Nashville, New York, like I said, and portland maine you'll find a link in the episode description in your podcast app if it supports html descriptions and i'll be adding places throughout the year there will be a couple of chicago places in addition to nancy's on the list i'm sure we'll find places in puglia to add and i'm positive i'll find some uk tap rooms that'll make the cut because rob cheshire of this week in craft beer has offered me a personal tour of his favorites And when I've added a new section or think there's enough stuff to justify people taking a fresh look, I'll put a new date on it so that it goes back up to the top of the food and beer sections of the website. I'll also post a pointer to a new edition on Facebook and Twitter. And hey, if you end up hitting one of those places, shoot me a note and let me know if I got it right. All right, that's it. That's the end of Travel Commons podcast number 178. I hope you all enjoyed the show. I hope you decide to stay subscribed. You can find and listen to us on all the main podcast sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music. You can also ask Alexa, Siri, or Google to play Travel Commons on your smart speakers. Check out the show notes on travelcommons.com for a transcript and links. You can also click on the link in the episode description in your podcast app. It'll take you straight to the show notes. And hey, if you've got a couple minutes how about leaving us a review on one of those sites or better yet tell somebody about travel commons word of mouth uh, honestly it's the only way to grow a podcast and if you're not subscribed hit the website at travelcommons.com there's a drop down subscribe link in the top a big red subscribe button in the middle of the page and then across the bottom you'll find links to the travel commons socials facebook twitter and instagram and hey if you've got a story thought comment gripe the voice of the traveler send them along text or audio comment co at travelcommons.com or to Peacock on Twitter. Write them on the Travel Commons page on Facebook or Instagram or post them on the website at travelcommons.com. Thanks to everyone who has taken time to send in emails, tweets, post comments on the website. I really do appreciate it. And until we talk again, travel safe, and thanks for stopping by the Travel Commons. Bye now.